0: Hello and welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. This episode is part of a new series of farmer interviews. My guest is Anthony Eliasson, who farms near Outlook, Saskatchewan. If you know the Outlook area at all, you might guess that the Eliasson farm has some irrigated land. It does. We'll talk a lot about irrigation in our conversation. I met Anthony at his farm about five years ago. I was interviewing him and taking photos for a Canola Digest Farmer panel article. In recent news, Anthony is now a director with Sask Canola. Here is our conversation. Tell me about the farm.
1: Our farm is located in central Saskatchewan and our south of Saskatoon. I'm a fifth generation farmer covering this ground and I farm with my dad, and we cover about 4,000
0: acres, and 1,650, give or take, an acre or two is irrigated. You farm with your dad, you said. Have you split up duties on the farm between the two of you? Do you have areas of specialty, and and your dad have other areas of specialty?
1: Um, When I first started farming with dad, yeah, I was more of just the grunt labor and tech support, but uh, over the last couple of years, we've definitely... Everybody does everything, and I've gone for the extra training, and now we've actually done our transition last year, and so I guess officially I'm the boss, even though he still has all the shares. But yeah, everything, (laughs) we each do everything, so we're totally reliant on each other, but if something happens, we can definitely take care of it ourselves.
0: As the younger partner, do you do more tech? investigation and and bringing that kind of things to the farm yeah absolutely
1: Um, but saying that dad was never one to shy away from new technologies he was the one that was pushing for irrigation with our farm with when him and grandpa were farming Um, he was full in with the auto steer and even the light bar guidance back in the late 90s early 2000s and now with uh autonomous tractors coming on board we've kind of set ourselves up that that's the direction we're moving and so as that comes more mainstream that might be something comes on our farm too so while i'm kind of the one that has to investigate and run tech support he is definitely not afraid to try in those kind of things
0: have you looked into autonomous tractors at all or or Uh, robots of any type
1: yeah i looked into uh Dot when dot was still called that and was looking at it but just didn't feel that was the fit at that time. And since then we've gone into some different tractors and equipment that will allow us to do call it eighty percent, ninety percent autonomous. We still have to be in the seat and control things, but
0: it'll do absolutely everything else while we're in the field. So when you think about the eighty to ninety percent autonomous have you got the equipment that will we'll do the, uh, the turns now at the ends? Yeah, that was one of the things we just changed uh, last
1: year was we got a tractor that we can actually do full autonomous driving, take all your turns, all your corners, does your automatic up-down hydraulics and fan controls, and, and the variable rate was already there. So it's basically at the point where you just sit in the seat and don't hit anything.
0: Yeah, but the so the brain power, the, the decision making is still yours, but the, the actual running of the equipment, the computer can take care of that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the irrigation and then get on to the variable rate. But so you said you've got about 1650 acres of irrigation and the, the balance a little over half is, is non-irrigated. Did you grow canola, dry land and irrigation last year or how do you split the canola? the last couple of years been on the
1: dry side we've basically almost nixed any dry canola we had a little bit the last two years just around uh, dry corners where we were not really easy access to get in with another crop um, so there was a little bit and it was pretty night and day difference between the dry and irrigation canola
0: what was the difference
1: about 45, 50 bushels and uh, about half the size of the seed, color of the seed, oil quality, everything was just that much worse on the dry land.
0: What's so, your irrigated land rotation then? So you, the, the canola is primarily on irrigated land. What else do you grow on that land?
1: Irrigation rotation is uh, hard red wheat, a flax, canola, and then uh, edible bean or some other type of specialty pulse.
0: Uh, And then the non irrigated land, is that, you know, same crops but just not canola or what else are you growing?
1: Uh, Flax, yellow peas, yellow mustard, uh, wheat. We've done lentils and barley and canary seed in the past and uh, fabas on irrigation of dry land in the past. So the dry land rotation really isn't quite as hard set. Um, It's kind of more what the land available to us some land is a little saltier and can't handle the peas, others is a little better. And so dryland doesn't have such a hard rotation like the irrigation does. And so we also grow lots of different niche crops that way too.
0: With the irrigated canola, for for anyone who hasn't grown canola on irrigation, which would still be most people, what are the costs uh, and we'll get into the cost of the irrigation system itself. I'm just talking about the the costs uh, of production besides the water for, for canola on irrigation.
1: The cost would be very similar to anyone else drawing canola in its normal black soil habitat. You still have your fertilizer and seed and every fungicide, everything else. The irrigation just allows us to kind of control humidity and take away any potential heat stress or water stress that might happen in late summer. Cost wise really isn't much different except mm. that without knowing that we're going to have uh, moisture deficiency, we could really throw more fertilizer at and hit those tire yields. And so we add the cost of irrigation, but realistically we also are looking at a much higher target yield rate from the get-go. We don't have to worry about what Mother Nature provides.
0: The seed's the same, a little bit more fertilizer. You know you're probably going to have to spray a fungicide, but it sounds like maybe you use fungicides even on the dry land. Is it not necessarily an added cost? It's
1: Actually, we rarely use fungicides on the dry land and on the irrigation. We you know, usually we have to hit it once, about that 20% flower. And that seems to be about it one time we actually use a little more fungicides when we get into like the edible beans but realistically with the drier air we're in you just turn the water off while flowering and you kind of get away with some of that humidity issues and so for we've been fingers crossed lucky we
0: don't have a lot of disease issues either with the irrigation unit itself so you said your, your dad started that what what goes into that decision were you you around or do you remember when the irrigation pivots first came in
1: no that was long before my time dad and grandpa put up the first pivot at 80 and they actually had a couple neighbors already having some irrigation and so dad and grandpa definitely got to see firsthand the results and how it helped um, converted a lot of guys from 50 50 farming to continuous cropping and no-till and it just allowed us to have that confidence that we can have a crop there
0: in your time have you put up a pivot since i've been
1: farming we've put up one small pivot just to fill in some acres uh, we've kind of been stuck with the water our source of water has been kind of capped off for allocation so we couldn't for a long time but we were able to buy some extra land that had pivots on it already so that also kind of helped us as well And then we've also replaced the original pivot that put up in 80 with a brand new machine and using uh, a corner arm, gained some extra acres out of that same land base.
0: Can you give me a ballpark price for uh, a pivot and then everything else that goes with it?
1: It used to be a good thousand bucks an acre, just capital costs of your machine and pipeline. But the last two years of everything's kind of skyrocketed. I'm not even sure what it would be now it's $1,500 or $2,000 an acre, the larger the project you're doing, your actual cost per acre comes down. It really also depends if you're non-district and you're pumping out of river or lake because then you have extra pumps to get elevation. Or if you're pumping out of a district, well, then you have a little less pumping and and pipes, but you definitely still have larger service fees.
0: I know you showed me some of the canals that you draw water from. Does that mean you're part of an irrigation district? I can't remember what you told me.
1: My farm is classified as non-district. We actually work under the Sask Water Seuss Canal. And so that's a man-made Canal that runs from the Broderick Reservoir that runs east all the way, call it allen Lanigan, and it runs through a bunch of reservoirs that run to the potash mines. And so we pay Sask Water rights to irrigate out of that.
0: OK, did, did you say Suez Canal?
1: It's the acronym is
0: with oh, okay.
1: South East Water Conveyance System.
0: <laughs> okay. I figured if it was the Suez Canal, that would be just a nickname, but okay, I get it now. Yeah. Would you Would you expand irrigation if you could, or you do you feel like the balance you have now is about right? No, I'd absolutely expand. I'm actually
1: having an uh, application in right now uh, for a piece of land that we're trying to. That we've owned for years just trying to develop it now but uh, the problem is the land is borderline and so we're working with the government to see what our options are and see if we could have some sort of reclamation with some tile drainage and with uh, irrigation so we're working on that now
0: yeah this the borderline comment you, you need to get your land approved right before you can irrigate it Yes, in Saskatchewan, you have
1: to have all your land surveyed and they'll do a couple of different tests and soil probes to monitor different environmental things. And I'm not sure exactly offhand what all the different tests are, but yes, they, everything has to be tested and approved. And same thing with drainage now, everything has to be mapped and surveyed before you're allowed that too.
0: The tile drainage being part of a remediation for that for that land is that because salinity is a is an issue do you i know you said you don't know all the details but is that the issue with that piece of land
1: yeah with that piece of land there's a one part of the field and so we would have to be able to have a way to flush out those salts and reclaim that acres
0: last thing on irrigation then we'll move on what are your ongoing costs like you, you have to pay for the water is that on a on a metered basis like you may you know city people might pay for their their water going into their house or how do you pay for water
1: no they run uh the government allocates 12 acre inches per year that's the max amount of water you get to use and most guys never even touch that um, unless you're growing especially crop like potatoes or types of alfalfa or timothy hay um so we pay that max rate, and that doesn't matter if it's district or non-district. It's however you, your water provider charges a service fee. And then there's also a water charge on top of that. But the service fee is the, the largest portion of that cost per year. And then you also have your maintenance costs and repair costs and anything else that likes to pop up on us.
0: So with the good canola yields, huge difference in 2022 between irrigated and dry land. Uh, so you said the the input costs are are similar, maybe a little bit more in fertilizer and like and like you said a fungicide. What can you give me a ballpark on what the water total water cost would be? Are we talking a hundred dollars an acre, or is it less than that?
1: It depends on what
0: where you are. If you pump
1: out of the Riverhurst Lucky Lake river uh, Irrigation Districts, you are around that hundred dollars an acre per year. I'm not sure where they're at now. The ones around Outlook in the South Saskatchewan River Irrigation district there around 55, 60, uh, we are about $40 an acre for Sask water. And then if you're pumping out of the river or lake as a non-district, there is no service charge. You just have a higher capital cost and operating
0: cost. Right. And then you pay, like you said, power, like the, the pivots themselves run on electricity and you, you pay a power bill as well. Yeah. For
1: most of the irrigation, in the province is electric uh, three-phase 480 volt electric pumps and then actually each tower each span of the pivot is its own little three-phase one-horse motor too.
0: At the end of the day I mean given that you would happily expand would suggest that with all the extra cost it's still a more profitable venture.
1: In my country it's the difference between having a crop and having a farm or just having to have an auction, especially mm. the last three years. As you get into other parts of the province, it basically makes or breaks your final product. Like in southern Manitoba, the potato guys, they'll put irrigation in just to make sure they get enough consistent water throughout the whole year that they actually have a nice stable potato. There's no holes or disease or anything in it. Then you get into southern Alberta and it opens up everything with, well, not just feed out alley, but you get seed production, you get sugar beets, it's just... Specialty crops that are available to you. The next big thing in Outlook right now is the horticultural. A lot of guys are moving in and doing more than potatoes. There's carrots and there's cauliflower and market gardens and everything. So, it, yeah, it's an absolute make or break, but it definitely pays.
0: Have you tried any of the, the horticulture crops yet?
1: Yeah, on our farm we've done – Uh, Timothy Hay and alfalfa renting land to neighbors we've done edible beans for the last decade Um, our ground is a little hard for potatoes they don't like digging through as much clay it's a little harder to clean stuff off but as we get more processing potatoes in the province and less seed potatoes I think that's not going to be a hindrance anymore
0: When you look at where Saskatchewan agriculture might be in, in a generation, what do you see? I would love to see more export of finished products,
1: uh, more export of secondary processed stuff, the, have everything done here. I don't like seeing a lot of this imported or sent out as just pure commodities. So more industries on our side of the border. It doesn't matter if it's a land border or water border. I'd like to see some way to have a little more resi- resilience to global affairs. We're not worried about uh, non-tariff barriers and that kind of stuff. A lot of agriculture is price-taking, and so any way to reduce that on the Canadian side is definitely going to help everybody in the long run.
0: When you when you bring that vision closer to your farm and closer to present day, is there anything you could do? in the in the near future to tap into some of that local processing, either investing yourself or selling into Saskatchewan processors. Are there opportunities for you to do that right now?
1: Absolutely. I like to sell a lot of my wheat to the mills and just bypass some of the inland terminals. I'm lucky enough that I am the same distance to inland terminal as I am to some of the major mills and even the crushers and so i rather deal directly with them sometimes there's a price premium sometimes there's not but at least i know that it's going the right direction and helping us and not just being shipped overseas uh some of the times of the specialty crop you never know um, there's a lot of processing in western canada but there's still a lot of stuff that has to be done overseas so some of that stuff would be nice to see closer at to home too
0: I guess I've spent too long in canola world. I know you've got the big Clavette uh, processor not too far from you, but on the wheat side, is the Robin Hood mill still open in Saskatoon?
1: Yeah, ardent it's called Ardent Mills. And then right beside it, P&H actually has a mill too. So there's two side-by-side downtown Saskatoon.
0: We talked about irrigation, but do you have other goals that you'd like to achieve in your career?
1: Well, like I said, I wanna keep more irrigation. I wanna keep developing my land base. I'm not trying to farm a bunch of extra acres when it's just gonna be dad and I, and eventually it might be just me and my kids. And so uh, put my money into the stuff we have. And if that includes drainage or irrigation or Thompson equipment, remote sensing tech, I'm all for it. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm a decade behind on what tech is available but the industry has also ever been evolving and consolidating too so it's hard to know where you're going to be and who your service provider is going to be in a year or two so sometimes it's hard to plan how things are going to be in the next 2 or 3 years if you don't know who's even going to be knocking
0: on your door at that time i attended the world ag agritech innovation summit it's called i attended virtually i would I would have liked to have gone in person and i think if i go again i will but it was in San Francisco in March. And there was a lot of presentations on biologicals for fertilizer, for pest control, et cetera. And there, there, I think we're at the verge of something there. Um, But I mean, to your point about being 10 years behind, I don't feel like it's a thing that we really want to rush into on the biological side. We want to see some evidence that they work really well. In, in in the prairies and specific situations. But I wanna to talk to you about variable rate, cause you said at the beginning that, that you've done some work in that. What, what are you doing specifically?
1: Uh, well, the biggest one for us is irrigation and dry land. We have two pivots that cover full section, they're 520 acres. And so it's a lot nicer to do the full mile run and not have to change any of your rates as you go between irrigation and dry land. And so having the variable rate maps, that was where we started. And since then, we've gone in quite a bit more in depth where we'll have two or three zones on the dry land and you know, three or four zones on the irrigation and still try to hit the best areas. And there are little low pockets in the field where it's irrigated, sometimes they get a little wetter and some crops don't like wet feet. So we'll make sure we cut back on fertilizer and seed there because there's no use having it drowned out and waste money. and same thing on the dry land where the little pockets. will put more fertilizer and see down.
0: Actually, have a crop there. Huh. Okay, so so it started off. You so you had uh, section and a half fields and only part of it was irrigated. So you you would just your map would basically be like you said the dry land irrigated and it would switch and right at that border. <laughs> So that's that's a good way in because it makes a lot of sense but now you're yeah, that, getting a little little yeah now you're getting a little more sophisticated with actual zone-based prescription maps
1: yeah as we get newer equipment and this makes it easier to do those kind of maps and you're not burning out a computer having a couple large files of maps in there um, it's definitely come a long way and as we get a little more comfortable with it we'll try something new each year and
0: who builds your maps? Do you do that yourself or do you hire that out?
1: A combination. I've done some myself, the really simple ones. The last couple of years, we've hired it up between a couple of different providers, um, depending on what kind of what our goal is and what we want to do with that field. And doing it just myself, I don't really get a, a chance to have any errors. So I always kind of held back. Now with these service providers, it's sometimes it's a little nicer because then they get lots of experience and they can really help you. Fine-tune your plan.
0: What what program did you use, or do you use when you make your own maps?
1: I was actually using John Deere's in-house program, their Operation Center.
0: And when you're making a map, do you use um, grid soil sampling? Do you use satellite maps? Do you do you rely mostly on combine yield maps? What are you using for data input?
1: Combination of soil maps and uh, combine yield maps that kind of let us get us the biggest uh, definition between the good land and the bad land where we're producing, especially on on an average year, you can really see where the good areas are and the bad areas are and where you can cut back.
0: How How many samples, how many soil samples are you sending in per field to create that grid?
1: When I use a service provider, I don't know what they do. If I'm just doing my yearly sample just to keep track, I just usually do about uh, 10 spots per 100 acres.
0: So you're actually submitting 10 samples, right? Or or is that a composite one for the field?
1: It'd be a composite for the field. Okay.
0: One soil sample for the field. You combine that with your yield map. And then do you have a contour map that you help just fill in the blanks? Or what do you... Like, I mean, a topographical map?
1: I don't because my land is very flat. And mm-hmm. so topography has an effect, but not in the major like other parts of the province.
0: I guess the point is, I mean, you you can take fairly straightforward measures to start creating some of these pres- prescription maps. Um, like you said, using, using the software that comes with the machine. And then... Uh, and then you're moving into variable rate and then with your with your drill is it you know once you have put the the map in that's it eh and I guess you got to make sure you got enough tanks for all the things that you want to apply variably but it, it sounds like it's you know once you have that map it's fairly straightforward is that fair to say
1: yeah absolutely like you said like you make sure you match your tanks and your blends and seed to what you have available and you have a pretty good idea how each tank is going to run out as you go through the field. And so you kind of have an idea where you need to stop and refill, or you need to fill one tank a little more often for the fertilizer rates, and you'll know that ahead of time too then. Yeah.
0: When it comes to making decisions about technology about achieving your goals about marketing who do you bounce these ideas off is it conversations between you and your dad or wh- where do the where, did, where does the the idea come from or the input or the checks and balances on on your practices and and you know whether you think they're a good idea Who do, who do you reach out to for second opinions
1: Actually, my conversation with my dad is usually the last conversation because that means it's, I feel it's worth looking into seriously. Um, So the more informal one is looking online, you know, different trade shows, going to different events, talking to different farmers. Definitely social media, seeing what's going on around the world, just getting ideas that way. And then if I see something that kind of piques my interest, I'll do a a deep internet dive and see what I can find, if who's done it, what works, what doesn't work. And if I feel it's going to work on my farm, then I'll go sit down with dad. We'll talk around, talk numbers, and then go from there and see if we can make it work. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't.
0: Back to social media. Which ones do you find are the the most effective when it comes to getting good ideas?
1: Well, Twitter, up to the last couple of years, has been fantastic. Egg Twitter seems to be really nice where everybody kind of uses their name, shares ideas, shares topics, shares concerns. Um, Again, talking around with people from around the world and sometimes somebody from Spain or New Zealand has an idea that works great for them. And you think, hey, that actually might work here too. And so you look into it or somebody has got something down in California or Georgia and you never know. And especially with the irrigation stuff, it's hard to find local information that works here. It's been around for thousands of years around the world, so it's always nice to see what works there and long-term sustainability on it, too.
0: You said Twitter up until the past couple of years. How has it changed?
1: It's become more political and not something I want to dive into, so I kind of keep my head down on those topics, and then there's been other changes that seem to create more silos. And so you don't quite see as much new things. They keep showing you the same people over and over again. And so it's not quite as uh, exciting as it used to be. And so I really like following a lot of the universities and research programs where they share information because then it gives me access to stuff that I wouldn't have normally seen. And so yeah, they give the info dump. But again, they don't always want to uh, engage back.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of social media being social. It is really rewarding when you can get that engagement and and continue those conversations. Okay, Anthony, we're going to wrap up with a surprise. I have this envelope of inquiries and I reach in here and I'm going to pull out a question at random. If you could start the farm from scratch, what is the first thing you would change?
1: If I could start the farm over from scratch, my location of my yard, I would probably make it so that I had access to primary weights and a little more spread out.
0: Let's do the weights first. So how far are you from uh, a full weight road?
1: We are three miles of gravel to get to a primary road, which isn't a big amount, but it's enough that we aren't allowed to actually ship primary weights unless it's wintertime.
0: All right. And, and how would you redesign your yard?
1: Grandpa designed the yard for tandem semis. And so everything's got lots of space for loading and unloading tandems uh, or loading super bees. But unloading trucks, unloading trailers is a little tight in a couple of our bins. And we I don't know if we would have five bins we could actually unload a super B even. And so that would be one thing I like us to, to spread things out a little bit more that way.
0: Would you ever think of of moving to you know three miles down the road and and starting a new yard from scratch?
1: I've considered that for bin yard, but not would be as much as I would ever want to move. I don't think I would want to start completely over.
0: And you've got the established trees and a house, and, and it's nice to have those, those yards that have a bit of family history too. Absolutely.
1: Being that a multi-generational farm, like you still have some of the old stuff, but it always has that sentiment, and it's hard to give that up.
0: Well, Anthony, that's, that's it. We're done. Thanks, Jay. Anthony Eliasson runs a grain farm near Outlook, Saskatchewan. For more on irrigation in Saskatchewan, look out for my article in an upcoming issue of Country Guide magazine. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada, with support from the three prairies-based canola grower organizations, Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on pests, weather, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. Thank you very much for listening.